When I was in college, I started my own feature and arts magazine. It quickly grew to a staff of around 15 people and 30 more regular contributors. We launched the first issue two days after my 19th birthday. I found myself for the first time having to direct people a lot older than me. It was unnerving at first, and I felt like I had to work extra hard to prove that they could trust me to make the big decisions. It was kind of intimidating having to tell them when we would have meetings, which stories would run, and what would get cut. And I also had to build the case to administrators of why we deserved school funding. Our whole lives were told to look up to older people, learn from them, and take their guidance. But here, I had the reverse, so it was a lot of responsibility, and I was uncomfortable with that. I had graduate students in their late 20s working with me and moms who had returned to school and wanted to get involved with extracurricular activities. What right did I have to make decisions over them? That's what was running through my head at the time. Then it hit me. This is what imposter syndrome feels like. Of course, we were college students, so there was still a bit more of a we're in this together spirit. But that didn't seem to count for much with the administrators when it came to our funding. I had to sit in a small windowless room with people who were probably 50 years older than me and argue my case of why we deserved $500 a semester to operate the magazine. They undermined me and didn't take me seriously. I felt powerless. And that was in an educational setting. I can only imagine how intense that feeling can be in the corporate world. Since college, I've not yet been in a position where I've had to manage anyone else. But young professionals are feeling that sense of imposter syndrome and age bias in the corporate world to an even higher degree as they become bosses. Welcome to The Return, a work-life podcast from Digiday Media about what the return to the office looks like as we adapt to the new post-pandemic normal. I'm your host, Chloe Callahan, a reporter at WorkLife where I cover how modern workplaces and workforces are changing across six core areas, culture, technology, talent, leadership, spaces, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today, we are talking about Gen Z bosses and the realities they face as they work with older generations. They're bringing fresh perspectives that might be misunderstood by more seasoned workers. Jarrah Reeves, who we spoke to back in episode one, has faced his fair share of challenges as a Gen Z boss. He is the coordinator of the Transformational Leaders Program at Binghamton University of New York, where he helps students from all backgrounds perfect managerial and communication skills. As part of Jarrah's role at Binghamton University, he teaches classes. The first time he did that, it didn't go so well. There had to be some confusion when I came in and I was hired, I was I was 23. So technically by age, like one year removed from college, you know, um, so there was no way to run from that. Um, so when I enter a classroom at 23 to teach, it's like, what in the world is going on? Like, has the school lost their mind? He just got out of college. Why are we handing him a classroom? I've encountered, you know, questions about that. Like, how old are you again? Like those kind of things. Not only is Jarrah younger than most of the business school faculty, he also has something most of them probably don't. Tattoos covering his forearms. 
I work in a business school. We're in a top 10 business school. If you if you ask certain people like about tattoos and business, those things don't mix. You might as well not even apply for the job if you're going to walk into an interview with a suit on, but you got tattoos. It's like you're you're putting a mask on something. Like, are you a motorcycle gang? Are you gang member? Did you did you hurt somebody in your past? You know, it's like just what, what in the world do you have markings on your body for, you know? He has to be aware of how people look at him. But I knew, you know, simple things. Like, I was wearing long sleeves, like, every single day that I was here when I started. And I started in, it was it was August, and it was hot. So um, that was not the easiest thing to do. But I wasn't hiding anything. My main thing was every, I treat first impressions so importantly so if I knew if somebody was at a certain level of immaturity that they would see a tattoo and it would make them think something about me, I didn't want that to be the case. So I was literally trying to eliminate that issue for anybody that would think in that direction. And he has to be mindful of imposter syndrome, when it's rising up and how to nip it in the bud. I didn't I didn't put too much stock into it um, because my my answer to those questions is literally like take it up with my supervisor. Like you're asking me why I have this responsibility. Certain days I ask myself why I have this level of responsibility. So this is not a conversation for either of us. You need, you know, take that to somebody else. Leaders are getting younger overall. Nearly a third of newly appointed S&P 500 CEOs last year were younger than 50, which is more than twice the rate in 2018, according to a research note from McKinsey and Company. Young workers are increasingly occupying top positions, even despite not having decades of experience in the corporate world. Although the average CEO is still roughly age 54, some data shows younger people are increasingly motivated to move into top positions. For instance, a 2021 EY survey of about 1,500 Gen Zers showed 45% said that they are very or extremely likely to start their own business. One Gen Zer who has fast-tracked into a leadership position is Zaria Parvez. She's the global social media manager at Duolingo, known for being the brains behind the big green owl on TikTok. In a way, Gen Z professionals are far more at home as leaders on social media. We grew up online and have a strong sense for what will resonate with people on those platforms, probably more than someone who remembers the days before email. Zaria very much grew up on social media and had her first taste of going viral when she was young. When I was in third grade, I was actually suspended for making a YouTube video go viral by accident about why students shouldn't attend my Catholic school. And I think it's really funny because at the time I remember being like, whatever, like, you know. Um, but now it's like, wow, I really should have seen that like foreshadowing that I would have a career in social. She joined Duolingo in 2020 as a social media coordinator and was promoted last year to her manager role. She's turned the green Duolingo owl into a social media icon with over 7 million followers on TikTok. That took time and hard work. It honestly took me an entire year to understand our brand, our brand values, what we can and can't say on social, like how how I can really just feel like I'm one with Duo, if that makes sense. And that takes time. I don't think anyone joins a job right away and understands the nuances of every part of it immediately. 
And I feel very lucky that I had that opportunity to take that year to just absorb and absorb and learn and learn. And I was still creating content, but it was like not great content, but it was how I learned of like what our brand values are and like how our brand is going to show up in the world. And after I had that really good background year is when I launched into this new strategy of our TikTok strategy of like Duo being this unhinged bird that had these personality traits. As you go through TikTok and you're considering ideas for Duolingo, I'm sure it's, you know, a little bit your algorithm though. How do you, I guess, make sure that you separate your own self again with the brand and figure out what works for what and make sure you're not just in your, you know, own rabbit holes and kind of seeing the whole picture of what's going on with trends on TikTok. Honestly, when we first started, it was a lot based off of what Zaria sees on her For You page and trends that I see. Um, But now it's evolved a little bit more as our social teams expanded. We have a variety of ages, a variety of different backgrounds, and we often compare things that are in common that we all see and things that are also different. Um, For example, we had a video where it was like um, during the World Cup And for some reason, I was on like the pro Morocco versus Portugal rabbit hole. And there was like this super niche trend with like this one girl, like this eight year old girl that was like trash talking Portugal. Portugal airport is that way. (laughs) (laughs) He's crying in his car. And we're like, let's just take her side and see what happens. We're like, we don't, we've never talked about sports before. I guess it kind of made sense like being a language learning app, but there wasn't really like much connection. And we went for it, we posted it, and it went viral. So we're like, all right, so it's not just like Gen Z girls that love Taylor Swift, like me. There are like sports fans that are also interested in Duolingo. So it's also about just testing and learning and always trying out like different niche content and just seeing what happens. Now Zaria works with people who have 10, 15 years of experience in marketing, and she's teaching them new skills and sharing what she knows. Our core social media team, I would say... All of us but one are Gen Z. So three of us, yeah, three of us are Gen We have two contractors, me and my boss. My boss is more of like a upper millennial. Um, And then we also bring in our creative team, which are mid-millennials. And then we have um, our legal, who actually not from a legal perspective. He just really loves TikTok. So (laughs) that's like an identifier there. He's like Gen X. So there is like a really good array of people who like share what they're doing and stuff like that. So it is Gen Z heavy, but there is a lot of different perspectives from different people. And like the running joke we have is that we let the millennials handle like Instagram reels and we're like, Gen Z will take over TikTok. And that's kind of how we distribute the work based off of like what demographic is actually using which platform. And sometimes that requires a little explaining of what trends mean. Yeah, I'll actually use the example of the Moroccan girl from that game. So when I was talking about her, um, and I was, like, showing, like, this is the idea we're going to do with it. We're going to do a, like, take her side and blah, blah, blah. I remember my boss saying, she's like, I don't see how this is relevant. And I don't know if it'll perform. And I was like, it will because of XYZ linking to other TikTok videos that were explaining it. And then also being like, if we want to take a test and learn approach, we've never reached out to sports fans. Let's just learn. Like, what's the worst that could happen? The video flops? Like, okay. And then it went viral. And I remember her messaging me and being like, all right, like you win this one. And I think having those moments of conversation and being okay with testing and learning is huge because it allows for you to actually see what works and what doesn't work. Um, And I think that's also part of like the ethos of like the company you should work at. Like if you want to experiment and grow a social presence, you have to be at a place that's okay with testing and flopping. 
like I always say, like, yeah, testing and learning, it's never always about winning. There's been a lot of flops that we've had, too, and just, like, figuring out, all right, they don't like this. Let's do this. Um, so that's really huge, um, just being okay with experimenting. Duolingo's general counsel, Stephen Chen, the Gen Xer that Zaria works with, helps in those decisions of what is pushing the line too far. Zaria's role here is to really help us understand like what is what is trending and what is popular to create content that's going to connect with people. And then, you know, my role is to allow that to happen, but to also create certain boundaries that we we feel are necessary. But as long as both sides sort of respect each other's roles, you know, we can kind of navigate that. But he's also pushed himself to get involved on TikTok to really understand what the culture is like on the app. I was on TikTok. And so like I was kind of on TikTok and I enjoyed it. And we had a TikTok a- account, but it wasn't very... Um, you know, it wasn't making a big splash or anything like that. And then I remember one day after work, I got a Slack or a call from Zaria saying, hey, I'm Zaria. I'm now running the TikTok account. And I see that like, and I've heard that you do TikToks on occasion and because I had done done one. And I was like, sure. And she was like, would you be willing to kind of like play a character version of you in a TikTok I'm doing? And I was like, wow, okay, sure. At first, he was hesitant. He was worried that it might be unprofessional. But he trusted her vision and her instincts. Now he's a recurring character in Duolingo's TikToks. I think it's a really positive experience. I I think probably the most important thing is I don't think that people are that focused on sort of the generational differences that like, oh, like, even though it's fun on like, on like TikToks to have so many TikToks of like how, how Gen X answers a phone call at four o'clock or a Zoom call at four o'clock versus how Gen Z answers it versus how a millennial versus how a boomer does it. At, at, at Duolingo, I just think we're all just all duos, right? And we all bring a different set of skills to the table. And so I think with Zaria, it's really great because she brings a very different skill set than I bring to the table. Like she brings sort of a comedic sense, a sense of um of sort of style and trend and creativity that I really could could not bring. Um, it's not really whether because we're from different generations, it's just sort of a different skill set. And so it's just kind of great to be able to work with someone like that and to work with them in a really collaborative way where like I appreciate what they bring to the table. And, you know, I, I'm very comfortable in saying that I think they also appreciate kind of what I bring to the table as well. For the first time ever, we are seeing five generations working together, which results in a clash of different working and communication styles, motivations, preferences and personalities, and experiences. That's why when these different generations work together seamlessly, there's that diversity of thought that can make a big difference to business outcomes. It's also helped Stephen think a little differently himself. I think I definitely come from an era where, like, 
you, you're always like, well, is the message on point to like sell the particular product that your company sells? And I, I think Zaria really showed me that, no, it's really about building sort of this, this fun relationship between you and your broader audience of users. Um, and so I think that that is something that, you know, she's really been able to show me that I, th- I think has been, been, been really valuable. I, I mean, I think also personally, I do really appreciate how Zaria and, and maybe people that are f- of, of her era entering the workforce, which is a little bit after when I entered the workforce, I think are good about being very strong, hardworking professionals, but also, you know, being very committed to having rich personal lives outside the office. And I think, you know, I think that that's good. And it's something that I think uh, makes for a better workplace and it makes for people that have better lives overall, balancing work and and personal life. I'm wondering if there's any other major differences with how Gen Z approaches work life now versus how you approached work when you were their age? I think Gen Z or or younger generations are a little bit more open to sort of um, explaining, you know, not bringing their problems into the workplace, but acknowledging that they're like a full human being that has, you know, work obligations and things they work on, but they also have other issues they deal with, like stress and anxiety and things like that, and sort of being willing to talk about how they're feeling and how that's affecting them. When I began work, I think that it was, there was a sense that that was somewhat taboo, right? That you really were just supposed to, like work and if you if you had issues like like those were your issues and like you kind of just uh handled them silently without you know without any mention of it at all i think that this change has been for the better because it wasn't as if people from an earlier generation didn't have anxiety or didn't have days when they weren't feeling their best. It's just that you weren't allowed, you really weren't allowed to talk about it. It's not always sunshine and butterflies though. Part of his job is making sure Zarya's TikToks don't cross the line. Duolingo's TikTok personality is unhinged, which is fun, but can easily go too far. After the break, we'll look at when Zarya did cross that line and how, as a boss, she had an answer for it. Part of Steve's role is to make sure their TikTok doesn't cross any lines legally. Sometimes that means not using characters that are copyrighted, and sometimes it means not using profanity in a TikTok. That's when Steve has to jump in and say, we really want to avoid that. That's not really on brand with us. But a much bigger incident was when Zaria chimed in on the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp defamation trial in spring 2022. Depp had sued his ex-wife for defamation over an op-ed she wrote for the Washington Post about being a victim of domestic abuse. Clips from the trial were all over social media. 
Johnny Depp y Amber Heard en 60 segundos. So I wanted to say something real quick about the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. I've just been catching up with the um, <coughs> Amber Heard and Johnny Depp Duolingo's fiasco started when NBC News uploaded a TikTok showing Heard insinuate that she was the target of an online hate campaign. You can look either of us up online and figure out who's being abused online. Zaria commented from the official Duolingo account, saying, Y'all think Amber watches TikTok? It was quickly condemned by social media users for being a heartless comment. But it went beyond that. It was criticized in the New York Times and made headlines in the New York Post saying Duolingo under fire for insensitive Amber Heard v. Johnny Depp joke. The comment was eventually deleted. You get kind of lost in this, like, okay, I gotta go, gotta go, gotta create. And you sometimes don't take a step back and realize, like, what you're posting on and, like, also the impact right? Like it can have, like you see your phone as like Duo lives in my, like Duo's TikTok lives in my phone in like this little city in Pittsburgh. You don't realize like, wait, you're actually reaching like 6 million people from all over the world. Um, so when that happened, I actually like, we took down the comment and like, I, I think it got traction from marketing Twitter and like people posted about it and then it kind of blew up and it became a thing. And at that time, like I decided to like apologize for my own Twitter account, mainly because like, when you do something wrong, like you take ownership for it, right? And you just take ownership and you're going to say, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it again. And I think what I really struggled with is at that time, a lot of people were like, she's not genuinely sorry. Like she doesn't believe in this. And it's like, I think there's a form where accountability, like the reality is like accountability starts and ends with me. And like, you can twist my words to say 10,000 different things, but like the only way like will only grow is if I make a mistake and like figure it out. And so for me, that was like a very big moment where I realized like genuinely like there are people who are just going to be pissed off at what you do. And then there's going to be people who see your mistake, call you out and then want to see you grow from it. And it's more about finding those people. She was fortunate enough to work with some of those people. So I remember my biggest fear. I was like, I'm getting fired. This is it. Like I'm over. And it was the exact opposite, like down to like our CEO messaged me and was like, hey, like I saw this happen. Don't stress about it. Like take a mental health day. Like we're all here for you. And like for your CEO to say that, like with like so many things going on, like meant the world. My boss like sent me flowers and was like, it's okay. Like shit happens. And I think that for me was the moment where I was like, yeah, I made the right decision joining this company because in so many other instances, like I probably would have been fired. Gen Z workers aren't always going to get everything right as they enter the workforce, especially if they move quickly to managerial roles. That's why it's all about finding a place that is open to trying new things and knows that it might not always go perfectly all the time. Zarya's one piece of advice, be in a space where you can continue to grow. And I just hope like all young talent feels that they can be in a space where they can mess up and like grow from that because that's just part of like what we're going to do in our 20s and what we're going to do in like the first parts of our career. And that to me is so much bigger than like chasing a big brand name because like the reality is a lot of companies don't have to care about you. But I was in a position where they did. And I hope all young talent feels empowered to take risks and make mistakes and are in a place where they can feel like they can, you know, mess up. Next week on The Return, we're moving from the Duolingo side of TikTok and getting onto work talk. We'll hear how Gen Z workers are using TikTok to find their next job and career advice instead of traditional networking or LinkedIn connections. 
This is your host, Chloe Callahan. Until next time. The Return is brought to you by Digiday Media. This podcast was written and reported by me, Chloe Callahan, and produced and edited by Sarah Patterson. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Then head over to worklife.news for continued coverage on how workplaces and workforces are changing to meet new expectations.